Hey everyone, Zach here. Uh, just wanted to quickly let you all know, in case you missed it, we launched Enrollify Chatter last week. Chatter is a feedback platform built to help enrollment marketers find the software, services, and resources that they need for success. It's your one-stop shop for reviews on things like CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, branding agencies, higher education associations, and uh, much, much more. Um, we really designed Chatter to be a place where great decisions start and we want to build this into a truly robust resource so that all enrollment marketers can make the right purchasing decisions with their budgets um, so go ahead and head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter or just go to our website and click to chatter from there and leave your first review we're offering gift cards so ten dollar amazon gift cards for everyone that leaves a review so go ahead and if you leave a review uh, ping me with an email and we'll be happy to get you that gift card again we're really really excited about chatter and looking forward to it being a true resource for the industry so again once and and finally uh head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter and leave your first review Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Cruz and I am the host of today's episode. And today I have the wonderful privilege of speaking with uh, Mickey Baines, who is a longtime friend, actually not that long, really only a year, but somebody who I've followed digitally uh, for, for many years. So welcome to the show, Mickey. Thank you for having me, Zach. By the way, I love your last name might be one of the coolest last names. I love how you boozy cruise. It just it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I, I am sure that my German ancestors uh, pronounced it differently, but as far as my grandfather and my father were concerned, that's how you pronounced it. So that's how I pronounce it. But I <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> um, Mickey, talk to us a little bit about your role at Kennedy & Co. and just a little bit about what you do all day. Um, sure. I don't know how to answer the second part. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so, so as a principal at Kennedy company, um, I oversee our technology practice, uh, which is a, a fanciful way of saying, uh, our CRM services. We work primarily with CRM technology and enrollment management. So, uh, understanding the types of tools that schools could use, finding the right fit, implementing, customizing, really finding ways to use that type of technology to maximize the strategies and tactics that schools need to employ to meet their enrollment goals. Uh, and so that's, that's my primary role. Um, I, I'm not a technology person um, by trade. I, I've moved over time into this. Uh, I'm an enrollment manager at heart and I come at this from an enrollment management perspective uh, from student success, from admissions, from marketing. That's really what drives me in our work in technology. Um, my day-to-day, -day, uh, gosh, I can't tell you. I mean, you know, we're in some um, odd times now, and so that's definitely changed my day-to-day. -day. Prior to uh, this COVID pandemic that we're facing, I spent a lot of time on the road going to various clients uh, or other speaking engagements, and maybe 60 to 70% of my time maybe on the road. Um, now, you know, I'm at home, out of my home office all the time. And so I spend six or seven hours a day on Zoom calls. And um, and so that's, you know, I, I spend my, my day is filled primarily with, with client interactions and planning out work or, uh, you know, taking the next step in a phase of, of a CRM build or building out an enrollment strategy. That's where I spend the bulk of my time. Uh, we don't have at Canadian Company, we don't have a, a sales team. Um, the sales is, is are generated from um, the four principals slash partners of the company. Uh, so I might spend a quarter of my time selling. The rest of my time is serving the, the accounts and the clients that we uh, have projects with. Fantastic. And could you just give us a, a sort of Cliff's Notes overview of uh, your career thus far. Uh, you, you know, how did you wind up at Kennedy and Company? What did you do immediately before that? And I'm particularly interested uh, to hear the story behind Best Bites 
and what Best <laughs> Bites was and how you went from producing Best Bites to being a principal at Kennedy & Co. Gosh, well, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there in the middle of all this. So Fantastic. my, my career has been higher ed focused. Um, and I started, at, you know, once I, um, finished school, I, I started working at Elizabethtown college and was there for three years working in residence life and orientation and, and new student programming and advising. Um, and, uh, loved every second of it. Uh, spent a year working at North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, overseeing their high school program. It was actually a campus that has high school students living on the same campus as, as undergraduate college students and graduate college students. But I oversaw about 250 residential high school students, or I oversaw a team that, that uh, oversaw those students. And from there, uh, moved back to Pennsylvania, um, where my wife lived, we were we were not married at the time, but moved back here and landed at Albright College. Spent uh, about ten years, I think, at Albright College uh, before I started consulting. I used that work at Albright. You know, I was running as I left there. I was overseeing a, an accelerated degree program for adult students. Uh, left that, started consulting primarily in continuing education and graduate education, a little bit of online education, focused on enrollment management, and that's. Kind of where the technology came into play, I started implementing more, being more involved in CRM selection and CRM implementations and managing those projects uh, for some institutions. Along the way, stepping into interim enrollment leadership positions when uh, a client had a vacancy where I may step in and oversee an enrollment team or a division or something like that for a period of time. And, and you know, I, I was fortunate. We, I did really well. I was on my own. And needed and was gr and grew to the point where I had reached my capacity. I either had to hire someone or make some other move, and that's when I merged with Kennedy and Company. Um, that was three and a half years ago, uh, and really helped kind of build out our technology practice, and and which leads us to today. Now we have eight uh, folks on our technology team, um, and some part-time folks as well with us. So that's kind of where they're now. Best Bites. Now that's that's you know. I don't know if there are any folks listening that are Myers-Briggs people, but I'm an ENFP and, and I can get distracted and I like to move to new and different things. And so one of the things when I was consulting on my own, I decided to do was to kind of create a food show. And I had a friend of mine that lives in my development that um, had a, a, a local food restaurant review site he had created um, and had a lot of folks on it. And he and I were talking and decided, well, why don't we, for our local TV station, start a TV uh, show to review local restaurants. And so we were touring um, about three or four counties and would go every month and hit a couple of restaurants and try the food, kind of like a diner's drive-ins and dives thing um, and get out there and get into the kitchen and see so folk, local folks could see the the food of their restaurants and how it was being made. And, and if they haven't been to one, they could find new restaurants. So it was amazing. You know, I, you don't know what type of viewership you really get with community TV, but I was, you know, people would stop me for all over the all over town you know i saw you from this that or what did you really think about this restaurant? <clears throat> excuse me this restaurant it was fun you know i was a theater major as an undergrad um so that performance bug's always there and that's you know one of the one of the little things i've done to to get that performance out there you nikki you might just be one of the most interesting people we've ever <laughs> had on the show i mean you know from <laughs> Being a theater major to starting Best Bites to being a principal at Kennedy & Co., you you really do do it all, don't you? Well, you know, I like to have fun and, um, you know, it's, it's something to do with your time when people have hobbies. I've, you know, I, I do hear comments about, you know, living interesting lives, and I, I hear that a bit. I've done a lot of different things that people aren't doing regularly maybe in, in their lives, and maybe that stands out a little bit. But, you know, we we're here to craft out our own experience. You know, and and I don't like to spend time doing things I don't enjoy. And so my career path is very much uh, one that I crafted to keep going in direction, you know, that I love. You know, people ask me sometimes about how did you get to consulting um, from working on higher to consulting? And I say realistically, no different than someone got to being a dean in higher ed. You know, I was look when I was a director of a program, I didn't have an interest at the time of being a dean or trying to pursue a path towards a you know vice president or anything like that. I, um, but I loved what I did. And so for me, instead of moving up a level in the organizational chart, I just moved out of that institution where I could help multiple institutions doing what I was already doing. And so that's, and, and now we have a team that are, that's doing that. And so it's just one more step removed 
from that direct um, student interaction that I had maybe 20 years ago. Uh, it's it's less direct with the student, but it's still working for the same with the same passion and for the same reason and helping schools find ways for their students to succeed. Um, and, and I've done that, you know, whether it's, you know, Best Bites, finding something I enjoy the food, I enjoy TV and that side of it and let's make it. And, um, you know, and you, you pick other things I've done, you know, if I pick up, I've got guitar sitting behind me. If I pick it up, don't want to play. That's something I do to get rid of stress. I love music. I love live music. I'm not a great guitar player, but it's something I, you know, kind of do for fun. And that's, I, I think we all have to have some avenue to get that out and ex- and express ourselves in different ways. And that's just my way. I love it. And, you know, this is sort of a nice segue into uh, one of the questions I have for you, which is that there's a lot of fear and uncertainty about what fall of 2020 will look like, what spring of 2021 will look like, what fall of 2023 will look like, right? The world is in this moment that we've arguably never quite been in. And really, you know, what we're seeing is higher ed is bearing the the brunt of a lot of this. Obviously, this is this crisis is impacting just about every industry. But I think that uh, higher ed is, is what we're seeing, the impacts that it's having specifically on smaller colleges and universities is uh, nothing short of severe and significant. And so, you know, Mickey, you've been around and you've done a lot of different things and met a lot of different people and worked in a variety of contexts. And I'm curious to know what you think, right, from both working on the inside of things to consulting on the outside of things, how should VPs specifically of, of enrollment and marketing be leading right now? Are there are there any good examples of sort of of strong leadership that you've seen, especially just in, in recent weeks that you could share with us that, that our listeners not, might be able to uh, garner some garner some hope and maybe even some inspiration from? Well, you know, I, I think it comes down to um, your ability to adapt and, and not and adapt at all levels. So from high level strategies to small, deep in the weeds tactics, and you and your ability to have data at your fingertips to understand the impact of what's happening around you to know when and how to adapt. Mm. And and I you know it, it's one of the and gosh you know I hate to circle back to technology, um, but you know having the technology in place that gives you that data, you know if you have one of the few institutions that have already really done you know been deep into this, um, you have more data to use. Now that doesn't mean that you're using it well, it kind of depends. But I've seen some institutions, you know, pull together multiple action teams across campus, some large institutions to be able to figure out, you know, very four or five ways you can pivot. I mean, you've got to start thinking, uh, you know, the, the some of the, the best VPs I'm seeing, they're, they're already pivoting on what they're doing for fall 2021. They're pivoting for what we're doing for fall 2020, for what we're doing for spring 2021. You've got all these different things that all have to change in different ways. Um, and and to, to pull the of the teams necessary to have those conversations, you know, from, well, you know, if we're going to have a, you know, typically we have a spring open house on campus, we may have 2000 people on campus. Well, how do we reinvent that and still keep that event and not just postpone it till the summer? How do you keep it in the spring? And how do you take something that was 2000 people can keep it at 2000 people. That's also virtual. That may also really be live. Um, how do you keep those those events happening and and still get the results you need from it? And also know if you don't get the results you need, what does that mean? How do you know you didn't? And how do you continue to pivot and keep strategies in place to make up for that? Um, you know, especially you know, right now, we've got a lot of schools. We're talking about summer enrollment that's down. And while summer isn't always at the top of mind for everyone, it's more at the top of mind now because we're already in deficits. And now summer even matter matters even more. And you know, summer sessions typically are starting in the next two to three weeks. Uh, maybe some are starting now, depending on when spring term typically ends for you. And what happens if you're 20% down in summer? How do we make up for that? Um, and, you know, I think finding ways to play with current models. How do you supplement um, on hybrid modalities so that if it's a face-to-face class that can be supplemented with some type of online class where a student can be online or face-to-face to kind of make up for that. So maybe we can find better ways to, to enroll our courses 
so that maybe we're offering fewer courses, but because we're blending online and face-to-face, we have more people in quote-unquote seats. What, what are we doing to, to adapt and, and to control expenses? Um, and what are we doing to control melt? You know, all, all of these are, are, th- are conversations we're having with schools. Uh, and it's, it's, it's somewhat amazing to me that we, we, we have all these varying types of conversations and we're having them and action plans are turning around so quickly to start taking the next steps um, where we might be, you know, handling one type of these questions at a time with projects for schools. And now we've, we've got multiple schools having the same questions from all of these various areas, from capacity to marketing to recruitment, um, you know, all of those things with multiple schools going on and and seeing how quickly schools are starting to turn around. It's, it's really cool to see. Now, I will say on the flip side of that, we've seen some schools struggle. You know, if you're a school that was very manual, operationally focused, so, you, you know, every, nothing's automated, you're still using a lot of paper files, and all of a sudden, boom, now your campus is closed uh, and everyone's working remotely. How did how do you move that paper around now? It, that's some major pain points, and it took a lot of those schools more time to kind of catch up to where other schools could more easily function to get to the technology from a home office to access what they needed versus someone has to go in now and scan a lot of stuff or manually enter stuff into tech into other systems. You know, if you if you did not have those operations in place, uh, hopefully you've you've gotten some of them in place, but you there have been some schools that really struggled there. Um, now, and I'll tell you that's some of the work that for me is most exciting because we can make some more dramatic improvements and really change, you know, a school's opportunity to engage and um, communicate with their, with their prospects. You know, when we, when we pick up the pieces of, of those manual processes and automate some things. We'll jump right back into the conversation after a quick message from this episode's sponsor. You know, that feeling you get when your boss tells you to go find a new CRM or when you're tasked with finding a handful of digital agencies to respond to your RFP? It's exciting, but also overwhelming. Where do you start? How do you know what system or service provider is the best fit for your school's unique context? Introducing Chatter, a feedback platform built to help enrollment marketers find the software, services, and resources they need for success. Chatter is your one-stop shop for reviews on CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, online program managers, branding agencies, higher education associations, professional development resources, and much, much more. Our goal is to equip you with the information that you need to make the right purchasing decision for your enrollment management or marketing and communications team. Get started by reading reviews and writing one of your own and then invite your colleagues to do the same. Shatter, where great decisions start. Couple things stand out in particular to what you just shared there. Number one is uh, to, to your point about just being able to adapt quickly. One of the things that, I, that I'm excited about, and you know, again, these are unbelievable, stre- unbelievably stressful and, and, and times for, for so many of the people, probably many of our listeners. Um, but, you know, one of the things that has been encouraging is seeing that, you know, higher ed actually can move quickly. Like there, there are ways, right? You're, you're seeing people make decisions um, in uh, incredible timeframes and in, in uh, essentially f- at least many folks are finding ways to get the feedback, get the approvals that they need in order to, you know, move the ball forward. And we're, seeing sort of you know a process that could normally take six months to a year is happening in a number of weeks and you know what's exciting about this is at least for for some for some people hopefully this is a sign of hope that while there are certainly sort of you know uh archaic sort of byzantine type of operations and structures that exist in in higher education this is a moment where you know when when it really matters um uh, folks are actually able to adapt and they're able to adapt fairly quickly so my hope a personal hope after all of this is that folks are able to realize that hey some of the silos that we have in place are not fantastic some of the systems and processes that we have in place are not efficient and we've proven to ourselves that we can actually make 
efficient decisions because we were all home, you know, remotely for months on end. Um, so that's that's one of the positive outcomes that I believe will happen once we do return to again some sort of semblance of of normal. And then the second thing that uh, that really jumped out about what you just shared, Mickey, is that. When it comes to recruitment events and when it comes to kind of moving things online, one of the things that I've seen people do that I think hasn't gone particularly well is people are trying to make an event that was uh, in person and was live. They're trying to replicate that exact sort of feel online. And again, I think you can do this. I think it's really hard to give off the same sort of um, um, you know, uh, vibe, the same sort of culture, uh, you're not really going to be able to come close to that. But what I have seen a couple of schools do, which is really cool is sort of adapt the entire model. So, right. The purpose of, especially if it's a recruitment event, right. Is to help answer some questions for students, help maybe, you know, maybe have a faculty or a student, you know, share a story, et cetera. But I'm seeing some people sort of like reimagine what this looks like through like, uh, interviews with faculty, uh, via zoom that, are you know recorded and then sent out and seeing you know interviews with a, a panel of students that are you know there's it's funny you see people's dogs running around in the background like it's this you have the admissions counselor sort of interviewing four or five uh, current students and then sending them around and basically rather than just trying to replicate these like live events or these hour long webinars people are turning um, you know the model upside down a little bit and creating good content, creating valuable content, but delivering that sort of material in, in a different format. And I think, you know, for, for our listeners, it's important if you can, and you have the resources to turn around and, and, uh, put on, you know, a, a great virtual event that more or less replicates an in-person event power to you totally do that. If you're not one of those people that has that sort of uh, the resources at hand to be able to do something like that, I still think there are ways to recreate and sort of like repackage that content and deliver it in a format that is scalable. Um, if you, especially if you just don't have the capacity on your team to pull something like a 500 person, you know, virtual information so, uh, off um, off virtually. So I love what you're saying there, and and I think that. Um, there's a ton of opportunity right now for folks to sort of like adapt strategies. I loved what you said earlier too about the need to adapt, you know, from the 30,000 foot sort of strategic level all the way down to the tactical, you know, uh, boots on the ground sort of level. Um, so, so thanks for all of that. This sort of, you, you've touched on this a little bit, but I'd love for you just to, uh, elaborate on this, um, um, for a little bit more. We're closing out, you know, the the fiscal year here, and I'm curious from your perspective, for those enrollment marketers who do still have some budget at their disposal, what do you think is sort of the best use of funds from now until, you know, June 30th? If you were uh, advising people on how best to maximize kind of the ROI of whatever remaining budget they do have, how would you consult them to spend those resources? Oh, by using the best consultant's answer I, um, that there is, and the answer is it depends. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, where are your holes? You know, where you do you think, or where hopefully, where do you know that you're falling short? Um, and I, you know, is it appropriate to use funds for that hole based on where we are right now? So, you know, if for example, let's just say if you have a hole in a particular program that's falling short in numbers, can is it reasonable that you can invest dollars to help build up enrollment for that particular program right now? Um, you know, is that particular program one that requires extensive reviews of previous academic performance that slows it down, that you may not get a response or an answer um, in time for that student to make a decision? Then I don't know if that's necessarily the right place. You know, I think it, you, you have to know. And if you don't know, you got to find a way to get the most informed um, decision that you to make the most informed decision that you can. You know, where are the best places to kind of plug that in? Hopefully you can identify three or four holes. And it might be, you know, do we allocate those dollars to make up for some scholarship for a special program? Do we add, um, move those dollars around for a specific ad campaign because we're starting to get traction in a particular set of online programs and we're going to use that to help offset some of the loss in the fall, then absolutely. But, you know, I think you got to know 
where the holes are and where the opportunities are and, and, and don't just shotgun the money or put it at something without some type uh, of understanding and plan for how you're going to respond. So, you know, we've seen this with clients. So we've got this money. It's the end of year. We want to put it towards this marketing campaign. Great. How many more people are we going to get for this? All we expect to see, you know, what we normally get now plus an additional 20%. Well, you've not been able to support what you had. How are you going to support 20% more in terms of communicating and engaging them? What can we automate to make that work? Having those extra steps in place so that if it is, say, it's a marketing campaign, you're putting our additional additional effort in your in your how you're targeting your ads or something like that. Ensure that you've got the follow up so that you can connect and engage your students, actually get them to the point of enrollment. Um, and don't just put it at the top of the funnel and then not prepare and plan what you need to do through the rest of the funnel to get those actual students to enroll to maximize that. Um, so, you know, I, it, I, I want to look at the school and see where they are. Um, and, and see what they know before I say, hey, let's put it in this one figure. I think it just kind of depends on, you know, if you, if you don't have online programs and you, or you've struggled in that and you've not been able to be successful with your campaigns before and you want to spend $10,000 in the next two weeks on that, I want to know what you're going to do differently to get results when you haven't been able to get them, get them before. And that differently may mean you're going to use a firm where you've not used a firm in the past. Um, you know, I think that's that's a part of it. Um, but that's, that's the type of thinking I'm hoping that schools put in place um, as they execute spending those dollars, not spending them. You know, if, if you've got a way to spend that money to in, improve your class, to improve your enrollment, then do that. Don't just hold on to every dollar. A lot of schools are, are pulling back and holding on to every penny they can. Um, if it was money allocated for marketing that you have the ability to go out and still get students between now and summer or now and fall, do that because we know that we're looking at 15, 20% potential, 15 or 20% decreases for fall. Um, and we need to bridge that gap the best we can with students. Yeah. I love Mickey, what you were, what you were just saying too about the need to ensure that there are systems in place to capture any new leads that might be coming in if folks want to spend that $10,000 on some sort of kind of digital ads campaign. One of the things that we're actually doing right now is, with Enrollify is doing a secret shopper experiment where we went ahead and uh, inquired at 80 different graduate business programs just to track sort of what, what what is the communication experience like. We excluded the top 20 schools and said those schools could probably, uh, you know, ride on brand alone. But for, for you know, others, communication and the, the prospect student uh, the prospective student engagement experience is incredibly important. Um, anyways, so uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that there's tons of dead ends in the inquiry process. And what I mean by that is after you submit an RMI or RFI form, you're hit with like a, a landing page, a thank you page, and you would not believe the percentage of thank you pages that have something like thank you, Zach, and that's it, right? Like it's a dead end. There, there's no additional conversion opportunities. Uh, there might be an apply button and, and that's it. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think is incredibly important before schools spend any money on kind of new prospect uh, uh, acquisition campaigns is they really need to go and audit their current inquiry and application experiences. Like walk through the inquiry process, walk through the application process, figure out where do you have dead ends, right? Where do you have missed opportunities for folks to, uh, you know, increase engagement with a prospect or for an individual to give you a little bit more information about what he or she is interested in. So, right there with you in terms of schools needing to really think critically about uh, what systems they have in place and ensure that those are those are strong you know especially in a moment like this right every prospect every inquiry matters all the more and I think that schools really need to be um, attentive to these relationships like not overbearing right not calling and texting the minute I, I you know submit a form but really ensuring that they're doing an exceptional job at delivering a truly engaging uh, experience when there's a lot of fear and uncertainty about what the future will hold. Um, yeah, go ahead. You want to you tell me I was just going to say, yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. Well, we should compare notes. It's been four years, I think, since I've done it, but I used to do uh, the Secret Shopper. I had a study I would do every year. Um, I had a couple of interns to help me, and this was back when I was on my own, but 
you know, where we would inquire not just with business schools, but graduate uh, slash online programs um, to kind of to measure the response. And, oh, there were, gosh, we, we but we we tracked phone calls, we tracked voicemails and emails and all, all of that just to see how many touch points and the frequency and the number of schools that you didn't get anything beyond that first automated email was surprising. Even four years ago or five years ago, it's still surprising. And, uh, you know, w- what sometimes could be almost appalling to me is uh, is an institution that says, hey, we want to double our marketing budget, but they're not putting any money in to investigate how that experience is from the point of submitting that form to ensure that you're capturing and enrolling more of the students that are walking in the door rather than just getting more, you know, entering, raising their hand to say, I'm interested. Let's ensure if we do that, we increase our conversion rate or protect that conversion rate. There was not a lot of time or energy invested in there. And, you know, when you talk about what if I've got a few thousand dollars extra to do, you know, be sure that you're taking advantage of every opportunity you can to engage those prospects as you're spending that money. Um, If you don't, you're really missing out. What I would do with that money, you know, and again, like I uh, I'm a marketer and so I want people to spend money on digital advertising campaigns and whatnot. But. What I would do with that money to, in the spirit of full transparency in this moment is go invest in a copywriter. Go find somebody who's a really good email copywriter and have them rework your comm flows and all the way from the initial, you know, post conversion kind of trigger email through your traditional sort of seven to 10, you know, whatever it is, email uh, uh, sequence. Because I think that there is so much opportunity to be a differentiator when it comes to higher education and having compelling copy, like we're, we're going to release sort of the, this whole report once we're finished with this experiment to, to folks, but just a, you know, a quick little, one, one of the things that we're noticing is that something like 70% of the content in these communications across schools is all but identical. Right. So like and it, 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 you've got your classic, is low. yeah, you've got your, low. Yeah, yeah, I'm being nice. You've got your classic, like, Hey Zach, you know, intro paragraph, four bullet points, you know, another paragraph, and then a, an invitation to to start my application. And it's like you swap any and all, you know, any logo out and throw in the same copy, and it it really is close to identical. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, that I was talking to a, a colleague about the other day was that, you know, I get these emails from, I just got this this new email from Sweetgreen, right? And Sweetgreen which if for listeners who might not be familiar is a sort of a takeout salad place, like a custom salad place. It's like Subway, but for, for healthy salads. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, salads are like what 10, they're like 10 bucks, 12 bucks or something like that. And Sweetgreen is now, has now released this, this, uh, new sort of like product line called Sweetgreen plates. And it's more, you know, it's, you've got chicken, a side and a salad, right. And they'll deliver to your home in, in, um, this moment that we're all living through. Anyways, my point is that Sweetgreen is, is trying to set to trying to sell me a 10 or $12 salad and their emails and their copy are amazing. Like it is, it is so, so unbelievably compelling. Like I love their subject lines. I click through, I look at every, like I, I, you know, convert on those emails like three times a week simply because I'm like fascinated by the copy that is associated with the email. Now, again, like I understand that graduate schools are not sweet green, right? They don't have in all contexts, in all situations, the the resources that a major brand has, but Sweetgreen is trying to sell, sell me a $10 salad. You're trying to sell me a 50, 60, sometimes $80,000 program. Like you'd think you'd do a better job at being able to communicate with me in a compelling way via email, especially after I just raised my hand and said I was interested. Anyways, I'll get, a, I'll get off uh, uh, my, uh, my soapbox here <laughs> now, soapbox. but, yep. but like I, I, the reality is like, I think that to, to kind of what your point a second ago is like, this is the perfect opportunity for everyone who's wondering like, okay, what do I do right now? I can't do my traditional recruitment. I'm not going to be able to go to grad fairs this fall or, you know, whatever. Audit your current process, like audit your current inquiry and app process and find the holes, spend $10,000, have a copywriter come in and better your confos. And I guarantee results in and of themselves just from better emails, you'll see a lift. 
So I, I want to share a story, and I've, I've used this uh, in some presentations I've done over the years. There's a video on YouTube. You can go find it. It's a video of Jerry Seinfeld. It's an interview with New York Times Magazine, and it's called How to, How to Write a Joke. It's like a five-minute video, absolutely worth your time, even if you're not a huge Seinfeld fan. I am. Um, you know, like him or not, you, you have to agree he's one of the best comedians of all time. Sure. There's um, a new, there's a new Netflix when, special coming out. Yes. Anyways. Oh, awesome. Well, if this kind of gives you a brief inside look at his process of writing a joke, and he's in the he had just finished a joke um, at the time of doing this interview called the Pop Tart joke, and and it walks through the amount of time and energy and the detail he takes at writing that joke, where you're where you're not just writing down the words, you're counting the syllables that you have in between laughs to ensure that you get to that perfect joke. And that he might spend two or three days working on that little bit, working on the syllables and getting everything just right. Now, I correlate that in our, into our world by saying, think of the nurturing marketing emails you have. Think of that whole campaign as your comic routine. And that one email that might be the third one that goes out, that's one of your bits. Are you spending two and three days working on that email or are you spending 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour working on that email? Because that email has the same value for you, has an incredible value for you, almost maybe as much as what Seinfeld bit has as part of his entire routine. And if we think about it that way and put that level of effort, that's the difference between the comedians who are at the top of stand-up comedians and those in the middle or at the bottom. The level of detail they put into it. And the effort that they put into every single word that comes out. I love it. I think that's so important. It's so important. And you mentioned subject lines. I like to throw out my 50-50 rule on that. So however long you actually spent writing that email, you should spend the same amount of time for the subject line. Yeah. Because yeah. if someone doesn't open that email, all of my, the time you spent writing the email is wasted. Yep. You just wasted it. So why not invest more time to ensure that you've got their attention enough so that they want to open and read that email? I love it. And I would just add on to preview text. I think preview text, email preview text is becoming more and more and more important. And like in the test that we're just running, incredibly like the, the open rates when you actually think about the preview text, which is like the little text that you see in Outlook or Gmail that, you know, gives you a little uh, preview of what the actual content of the email is. And what, if you, if you're not intentional about it, it just defaults to whatever the, the first, you know, words in your email are. But I think that um, there's huge, like the, that is your core real estate, right? Like that, that is, as you're, as you're saying, Mickey, like just as important, if not, I would even argue mo slightly more important than what's in the copy of the email itself because you know people are just busy and you might actually have the your program might be might actually be the best program for me like it might actually be the program that changes my life and sets me on you know the career path that I've been dreaming of since I was five years old but the reality is I'm not I'm not gonna know that I'm never gonna get that far if I don't open your dang email right and so like I think that what folks should do right now again with whatever whatever budget you have, or even if you don't even if you don't have any more budget, just go through, walk through your comp flows. This is a great time to kind of reset. Um, you know, the 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 playing field in some respects has has become even. Um, go and revisit your emails. Think critically about uh, you know how compelling they are, what the content offers are, what the conversion opportunities are, and work with your team right to to just better them. And I promise that even just bettering them, because there are so many really, really, really bad ones out there, will do something for you. Absolutely. All right, Mickey, I've got another question for you. So, over the course of your career, you've worked with many, many different leaders in higher education. And you, again, as we've previously discussed, you've worked in a, with them in a variety of contexts. You've seen, you know, I'd imagine strong admissions teams and, you know, weak marketing and communication departments. Uh, can you speak to an operation that you were particularly impressed by? Um, and what sort of lessons might our listeners garner from uh, from the models that you've seen, the departments that you've seen that operate efficiently, uh, engagingly, and if that's even a word, uh, and and effectively. 
You there? Sorry, I'm muted. Ah, um, there you go. Sorry. No worries. Uh, remember, uh, conference call bingo. You're muted. You're muted. I love it. I love uh, it. So, uh, so I'm trying to think of a a program. Uh, we, so we were talking earlier about how schools are responding. So, um, and I'll, I'll I'll call out George Mason University, large public university, and they're they're a good friend of ours, good client of ours, and just to see them and how they've uh, responded uh, and operating because they're uh, what I would call a progressive um, team. They they are into the analytics. They understand. When, th- when things are starting to shift before you see the shift, they know it's coming. Uh, and to see how they pulled together multiple action teams to start working on different models for the fall, to see how they change their virtual events on campus uh, from a, a, a face-to-face um from a face-to-face operation to a virtual open house and to have multiple virtual campus tours happening as part of it, how to take a pool of student tour guides, turn them into virtual tour guides, walking through the trend. You think of the steps you have to do in in making a shift like that. You've got to, A, have that virtual tour. Then you've got to have um, staff trained on how to navigate the technology to make it happen, how to then take what could be a scripted – Something, something that could be come across scripted, it comes across even more scripted when it's going from face-to-face to virtual. So how do you get folks feeling comfortable with it so that it's not scripted? Having all of those things, having a meeting with faculty and advisors and hearing other folks speak for you know a couple or 3,000 people, that was an amazing thing. But that's not all that they did. When you look at the other strategies they have, when you look at they also did not at the time have a live chat feature functioning on, the, uh, on their site for prospects or – um, current students. They got that up and running in a matter of two weeks. Um, you know, just to see all the other things that they're doing, you have to be nimble. You have to have a staff trained uh, and 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 know and see and have the data at your fingertips to know what steps you need to take. And I, I'm just continually impressed by how they're doing that. Um, we've got other clients that we see making major changes uh, somewhat based on what's happening now, but it helped open some eyes and see them wanting to work towards that and and seeing them react quickly. Uh, Like you were mentioning earlier, seeing how fast some schools are able to respond when they may not have been able to respond quickly before. But but now we're seeing some of those responses happening quickly to make major operational shifts um, when they find deficits like this. It's inspiring in a way. Um, you know, and it's not a time where we have lots of positive, inspiring thoughts, but to see how sc- some of those institutions are turning it around and putting ideas into action and making decisions uh, quickly, it, it's it, it's inspiring to see. And those are the, I think, the institutions that will be having the best results in the fall by, by far. I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, final question for you. So... I want to talk about this idea of fanatical recruitment. You've proliferated this term and this idea um, over the past few years, and I'm curious what this word means to you and how you know this this term applies in an enrollment marketing context. Well, I I, the, I, I picked it because I, I think you can gain from it how seriously I take it and how passionately I, I, I see it. And we've been talking bits and pieces about it throughout the conversation. When we talk about how to write an email, you know, it's about, it's not about, Oh, I need to write, rewrite some emails to engage students. No, it's about more than that. I, you know, it's about taking every single step that you do. And once you rewrite that campaign, it's how you train your counselors and how to respond and to interpret when a, when a prospective student replies to one of those nurture emails, emails, what is it they're really saying when they reply? How do you interpret what that is so that when you reply back, you're getting, you know what the next action needs to be for that person and you're getting them there to that point. It's it's taking everything you're doing, not at a level deeper. Let's go three levels deeper. And this, you know, to me, that's something I find missing a lot at institutions. You know, who's responsible for helping a staff get to that point of recruitment hmm. in the recruitment process? Who gets them there? In my mind, that's the admissions director because they're typically the ones that are overseeing 
a, a recruitment team. But I don't see that written in any or at least in many admissions directors job descriptions to teach them how to dive into a CRM, to teach them how to have that conversation with someone and to interpret what it means, not just to give them an answer and how our institution likes to respond with warm and fuzzy ways. No, it's knowing that because a student did X, we need to get them to Y. And this is the ways we, these are the ways we want to get them to Y. And having that defined so that then you can coach to it. And, you know, to me, that's that's getting fanatical about it. That's really getting the weeds and and living and breathing by doing those things on a day to day basis. And they may not be fun. They hopefully they are, but they may not be. You know, we how do I take a staff member who's not performing at the highest level and get them to the highest level? Um, you know, that may not be something you're comfortable with. Uh, that's okay. But it doesn't mean we don't do it. And the number of times I go into an enrollment situation for a coaching purpose or to sit in an enrollment leadership position on an interim basis while a new leader comes in, what I find are those are the things that get missed. And those are, you know, are how prospective students are falling out of the funnel. I mean, just falling out because we don't have that structure in place. We don't have a coaching model in place to catch it, to address it and work a team towards success. And I don't mean this in a way like, you know, we there's still a, a, a lot of times a negative perception about the aggressiveness of some institutions, maybe more so for-profit institutions. I'm not talking getting to that. I'm just talking about knowing you and knowing how to build your model to engage the way that works for you as an institution and, and getting three levels deeper in once you get to the, know what that baseline uh, is for you, going three levels deeper to coach everybody step to step, what it means to go about that process. One of the things that I think is so great about this this idea uh, that that you've just flushed out so so well for us is basically what I hear you saying is we have to care a lot more about you know what the for profit world would call customer success, right? So in other words, how do we get people really 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 excited? Uh, how do we get enrollment management teams? How do we empower them to help? for for lack of a better term, kind of close that deal in a way that is genuine, but also in a way that is actually personalized and helpful. And I think one of the things that a lot of schools, especially those who don't have massive budgets um, and, you know, might not be able to afford uh, uh, to, you know, get on systems and in processes that are, uh, that use marketing automation to its fullest, what those schools can do, and I think their unique value proposition is in customer service, right? It is in the ability to walk with students from the point of application through the point of enrollment and do so in a way that is genuine, in a way that is that is that is personalized. Um, and I think that that for so many schools has to be the unique value proposition if in fact your programs are not too different from the schools down the streets programs or if your your competition if you're in an incredibly competitive market right what is it that you can deliver that is absolutely different and unique and i think that one of the you know as this you know secret shopper uh, experiment is 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 highlighting very very tangibly one of the real missed opportunities is in personalized exceptional customer experience and i really do think that comes down to the enrollment management team so i love this idea I think that this is something that many, many, many uh, admissions teams, regardless of your size, can kind of adapt and, and look to as, as sort of like a, um, you know, a pinnacle of, of what to strive for. So I appreciate you kind of proliferating this term. I, I hope that we see uh, we see you kind of continue to flesh it out for us. Um, and I think that there's a lot that our listeners and anyone working in enrollment management can can garner from uh, adapt, adapting this as a adapting fanatical recruitment as a sort of a mindset for the work that they do. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I really hope other schools start to uh, buy into that and, and start addressing it. You know, it's if if you went about this personalized customer experience and saying this is how we're going to respond. One of the primary ways we're going to respond in uh, in this particular environment we're in right now, and you haven't already trained your team to do it. You know, you think it's easy. It's not. Um, and people want to hold a hand. But, you know, uh, I'm talking about let's we're going to use the left hand to hold the right hand. And let's get a level deeper. Let's understand we're going to not just hold a hand, but we're going to hold the hand and direct them in this direction. If you're not very specific, you're not going to be able to jump at it and and, and be 
terribly successful at it. And, you know, given our former work environment of everyone in the office all the time, and now we're shifting to online, you know, yeah, we've been able to handle that well, but have we also modified how we train staff virtually Mm. as well? So we've got all these other little complexities that just put up one more roadblock on it. And so, you know, I'll go back to Mason. One of the things that's, you know, intriguing about Mason to me is they have, you know, I've seen other team members um, work remotely more there than I've seen. Not that they're all remote, but having someone working from home here and there occasionally, to me, um, th- they were more prepared. I've had more meetings, even when I'm on their campus, that are having that are held via Zoom because people are located all around different places. They were more prepared to be virtual so that if they need to have a training with folks that's going to happen virtually, they've done it. They were a step ahead than a a step ahead beyond where a lot of other institutions were. So, you know, I think, you know, just, you know, pushing yourself in all these areas is a, it's, I think it's going to be the new requirement um, for you to really succeed to not just hang in there, but to really succeed uh, and, and thinking through what are the four or five things that I really need to be focused on? And then underneath each of those four or five, what do I need to do? What four or five things do I need to do to succeed at that one? So I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's going to be an intriguing um, next three or four months. Uh, I'm, I'm cautiously anticipating what, what's around the corner for us and, and hopeful. Well, Mickey, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you coming on here and uh, pontificating in in the way that only you can. Um, it's you've got a lot to share. Again, you've uh, had quite the quite the experience. Just you know, even thus far in your career, and I really hope that our listeners uh, learned a couple of things. Um, at least, you know, at the very least, hopefully, they can go Google Best Bites and and find that video of you. <laughs> Um, and maybe, maybe they also learned a thing or two that they can apply in their context, but thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Zach. I I really appreciate the opportunity to join you. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.